Welcome back, guys. This is Encounter with God here on Faith FM, where we get stuck into Bible study. We are in the book of Revelation, which is so exciting. And we are going verse by verse through the book of Revelation. Uh, I think this might be a first on Faith FM Radio. I really don't know, but uh, it's certainly an exciting time for Bible study. But before we get into our Bible study, Mon is going to hit us with the next clue for the quiz, which nobody has snapped up yet. They're going to get suddenly very, very easy. Yes. But uh, give us a clue there, Mon. We got any more hard ones left? Uh, not really. So who am I? The first clue was First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 says that I was deceived. Second clue was I hid from God. And our third clue for today is pain and sorrow accompanied childbirth because of my sin. Who might that be? If you know the answer, give then give us a call. one 843 is the number. It does make you wonder if this person hadn't a sin, what would childbirth have been like? You know, just easy breezy, lemon squeezy, just like, you yeah. know. Passing emotion. Yep. <laughs> that feeling of satisfaction. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, you asked the question. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> Maybe funny. Maybe we should have used the delay button right Yeah, there. yeah. Someone should have hit the dump button. But anyway. 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 <coughs> um, changing the subject. Changing the subject. Please on. do. Time for our 20 million movement. 20 million movement. Let's get into our Bible study for the day. And let's look at Revelation chapter 2. And while we're turning there to Revelation chapter 2, let me remind you all that the way people listen to the radio these Be days tuned. in their cars is via the TuneIn app or one other or any other radio app. You simply search for Faith FM Australia. Run it through your Bluetooth, run it through your auxiliary cord, whatever it might be, and you never run out of signal, which is really, really fantastic. So frustrating whenever you drive out of the signal range and you can't hear it anymore. Anyway, Revelation chapter 2, Mon, we are going to get stuck into the letter to the church in Pergamos. Why don't you read for us verse 12 and 13, please? Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is a message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. Okay, so here we have uh, the story of Antipas and his martyrdom, but the Bible says some good things about the church in Pergamos, doesn't it? What are some of those good things the Bible says? Yeah, it says uh, that they remained loyal. Mm-hmm. So this is a loyal church. Yet they refuse to deny uh, deny Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it says Antipas was a faithful witness. Maybe that means the church in Pergamon was also faithful. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a, there's quite a number of uh, really positive things here that the Bible says about the letter to the church in Pergamos. But then things change a little bit. So in the last letter, we find that God, you know, the letter of the church in Smyrna, God didn't have anything bad to say about this church. This was a church that we noted was was uh, tremendously persecuted, uh, faced incredible levels of uh, persecution, and yet we find that they remained you know, faithful to God. Um, here we come to this particular church, and you've got a change that takes place. God has some, God has some very definitely some 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 good things to say about this church, but at the same time, we're going to read on. And we're going to find out that there is. It's almost like there's a. It's almost like two churches are forming here. It's true. Almost like you've got you know sort of you know there, 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 there's two different churches that are starting to uh, 
to form and come together and or, or split apart from each other. And they, you know, appear to be in opposition to each other. So why don't you read us another verse there for us, please? Yes. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. Mm. Yeah, okay. So here we have the sin of Balaam that comes in. And actually, to add uh, add insult to injury, why don't you read for us verse 15? In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Should Mm, keep going? Nah, let's stop there. Let's stop there. Okay, so here we have some things that God says against the church in Pergamos. And we need to understand some things about Pergamos and where it is. And uh, Pergamos is a great city to both explore and to research and study. Have you been to the Pergamon Museum in Berlin, Mon? Yes, and I loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it amazing? amazing. So um, you've been to Satan's seat? No, I remember yes, that, but I saw Ishtar's Gate. Okay, Ishtar's Gate is, is probably yeah, there. Yeah. There's, there's two famous, um, two famous, um, I guess, monuments okay. that are there. And the big one, which was the, what was the Temple of, uh, um, I forget what, exactly what they call it, but it's what uh, is known as Satan's Seat. So the big okay. temple that you go to there, you know, the big the big Greek temple. Yeah, I, I don't remember. I, just, I was so overwhelmed by the beauty of the Ishtar Gate that when people say Pergamon Museum. You skipped all the Pergamon stuff, you saw the Babylon no, stuff. No, it's just I don't remember it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's probably the second biggest um, artifact or monument that is in the Pergamon Museum. And, in fact, I'll dig out a couple of photos here for you, Mon, and it will bring it back to your memory. Okay. You remember this place? Right there. Oh, yes, 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 yes. yes, yes, yes. yes. Okay, that's Satan's seat right there. Yeah, great. That's what's called Satan's seat. If you go back to um, ancient Pergamos today, all you can do is find the foundations for it. So Pergamos was a fortress city. It was built on top of a mountain. It was considered to be an impregnable fortress with you know steep mountainsides all the way around. has some fascinating history. It wasn't just a religious center. It was also a healing center. Ooh. And so they had a healing center there called the Ascalapian. And this is where people came from all over the world to go to this very, very famous healing center. And at that healing center, they combined the worst of natural remedies with the worst of drug medications. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, you know, with natural remedies, there are some good ones and some bad ones. And with drug medication, there are some good ones and some bad ones. Still is. Um, Nothing has changed. And these guys managed to really perfect the worst of the worst. Mm -hmm. So you could go to the Ascalapian and you could walk down a long tunnel with holes all through the top of it where people would speak spells down onto you. Oh, yes, I remember this. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, you could go to another place where they would bring out large pythons and have those pythons, those snakes or serpents, lick your wounds. Uh And uh, and that that was supposed to bring healing to you. Or you could take some really, really toxic substances Mm -hmm. that uh, if if the... if the spells didn't kill you, they were sure to do so. The spells and the snakes didn't kill you. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was a really, really dodgy place, but very famous nonetheless. And, and despite the treatments in the Ascalapian, some people survived. And, of course, every survivor had a story to tell that then, um, I guess, inspired more uh, more clientele. Yeah. But uh, if you then went from there, you know, had a, a very magnificent theatre, uh, but right on top of that uh, that mountain, you had a temple, um, which was known as the seat of Satan in the Bible. 
One of the interesting things about Pergamos is that if you go back in history to the very first great rebellion that took place after the flood, it connects to Pergamos. The Tower of Babel connects to Pergamos. Did you know that? No. Yes, really interesting. How? Not only does it connect to the Tower of Babel, but it connects to our day right now. Okay. You are going to be fascinated with this piece of history. So basically, if you go back to the Tower of Babel, you have Nimrod. Nimrod comes along and creates the very first religion after the flood that is in rebellion against God. Okay. This was a very different kind of rebellion to any kind of rebellion we have in our world today. This was a rebellion that openly and publicly acknowledged the existence and the power of God. Nimrod didn't really have a choice because the um, the flood was recent history. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he didn't have the what what some might call the the the, the luxury of time yeah. to be able to deny or to reinterpret the evidence around him as to something else because there were still eyewitnesses there. He could go and yeah. talk to Noah. He could talk to Noah's sons. He could get eyewitness accounts of the flood and how God had flooded the world because of its wickedness. And so he decides to be wicked, but in doing so, he recognizes that if you are going to be wicked, you have to also have a plan, a means of surviving that rebellion. And so he builds the Tower of Babel. Okay, God, go ahead and flood the world. We'll climb to the top of our tower, essentially. Um, and, you know, God had said, you know, go out and populate the world and so forth. And uh, he's like, no, we're going to clump together and we're going to build a globalistic empire um, right here, and we're going to you know combine all these cities together, and this tower will be a symbol of our unity and so forth. And so he builds this, and this tower is a tacit admission of the power of God to destroy evil. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so you've got this uh, this tower being built. And it recognizes the power of God. Uh, so this is this is really, really bold-faced, open rebellion against God. There's just no other way of describing it. This is this is the worst kind of rebellion. Of course, he chose as a primary symbol a number of primary symbols that he chose of his empire. One of them being the sun, because like, yeah, we're going to worship the sun. It's the most powerful force in nature, and nature is the most powerful force in the universe. So he worships the sun, but. And, and you'll find that sun worship became universal around the world. One of the symbols that he chose was the symbol of a serpent. I wonder why. And not just any kind of serpent, but one that has wings. Mm. Have you ever seen a winged snake? I've never seen one with my own eyes. I've read about one. Okay, in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's the only place you'll find that story, Genesis. isn't it? So where do you think Nimrod got his inspiration for a winged snake from? Did he get it from wandering around and finding a winged snake somewhere in the bush? Doubt it. He got it from Genesis. Yeah. From the snake that was also an angel that had wings. He is, by choosing this particular symbol, he is openly and boldly proclaiming his allegiance to Satan. Mm. You know, that's, that's, that's pretty full on. And, uh, and and so in doing so, we find you know this is this is uh, um, serious serious rebellion, unlike what we have in our world today, where people are like yeah you know what we don't really understand uh, what it was that um, you know happened in the distant past, but you know and and they'll, and they'll just sort of uh, you know, come up with alternative interpretations to what they see in the world today. 
No, no. This is bold-faced. It was open rebellion against God. When the languages were divided at the Tower of Babel, the religion of Nimrod really spread around the world but took many, many different forms. So you can find that worship of the sun is universal in the ancient world across the globe. Worship of the serpent, likewise universal. Even here in Australia, uh, we have the rainbow serpent. Now, our rainbow serpent didn't have wings, but every other serpent you know, pretty much around the world had wings and was worshipped. Where did that originate from? It originated from the Garden of Eden, the Genesis story. These people are proclaiming themselves, essentially, uh, for those that know what it is as worshippers of Satan. When Nebuchadnezzar came to power, Nebuchadnezzar II, with the Neo-Babylonian or New Babylonian Empire, one of the things that he set about to do was to purify the religion of Babylon back to the original religion that Nimrod had created right back at the beginning, because it had become so corrupted down through the years. When the Persians conquered Babylon, they had the same religion, but in a very different format. And the priests of Babylon recognized that everything that Nebuchadnezzar had achieved was under threat. They recognized that they needed to take uh, their religion, their library, everything you know that um, you know the records um, to a place somewhere in the empire where it would be where they would be able to preserve it in safety. And so they found this church, per, this or sorry, this city Pergamos. It was a fortress city, so very very well defended. It was open to their ideas, and so they migrated the library, the knowledge, and the worship of Nimrod to. Pergamos. Oh, okay, gotcha. Now, guess what the priest king of Pergamos was called? Steve? Mm, no, he wasn't called Steve. He was Kevin. called, this will, this will melt your brain. Go on. He was called the pontiff. Oh, snap. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. Didn't I say it comes <laughs> from the time of oh, wow. Nimrod right down, down yes. to this day, okay. and the remnants are still there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It affects us today. So this is Pergamos. This is where Satan's seat is. You know, I have a friend of mine wow. who was um, doing a TV documentary on the seven churches one time, and he was... Um, you know, his producers like, yeah, stand up here on top of Satan's seat and we'll film it from here. You know, it's a great place to uh, film it. And he climbs <laughs> up there. <laughs> he nearly stepped on a snake. Oh, <gasps> no. Poisonous snake. <laughs> uh, he jumped as you as you would. Yes. And as you do. And uh, very quickly vacated Satan's seat. <laughs> Left the um, Half hour later, the producers like, okay, it's all clear now. Um, went up, had a wander around. No snakes up here. Come on back up. And he's like, yeah, no, 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 no. He's like, and just see the headline, you know, American evangelist dies on snake Satan's seat after being bitten, after being bitten by a snake. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, funny. But uh, if you go to the Pergamon Museum, you'll find that the whole uh, temple complex that was right there in Pergamos um, is just it's just all writhing snakes all the way around it, winged snakes, snakes, um, and you know, with other gods sort of intertwined in between. It was all the the, the symbol of Pergamos was two snakes, um, two rising serpents, which of course is the symbol for medicine today. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and of course, along with the wings, mm-hmm. the winged serpent. Which is where that's two from. rising serpents with the winged serpent. That's 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 where it all comes from. And so, yeah, some really really interesting history associated with Pergamos. And yet they had this Christian church there. That's right. And so somebody had gone there and in right there in Pergamos had established Christianity. And the Bible speaks about Antipas, who is the faithful martyr who died there in Pergamos. Now, there is no one in history by the name of Antipas. But Antipas is a composite word um, beginning with the prefix anti. What does that mean? Uh, against. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Papas or Papa. Oh, anti-pope. Anti- Anti-pontiff. Anti-pontiff. Ah. Oh. You see how it works? Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So now we look at, so that's our historical background for Pergamos. Now we have to look at it as a symbolic prophecy dealing with a time period in history. We noted that the church in Ephesus deals with the history of the Christian church from AD 31 to about 100 AD, when persecution begins against Christianity. Then we noted that um, the church in Smyrna begins in about 100 AD and ends with the end of the Diocletian persecution in 313, after which Constantine comes to power, notices that there are many religions in the world, but only one religion that can be found in all parts of the world, and that is Christianity. And so if you want to unite the the, the nation, the the empire, I should say, then let's run with that one. That's the the rising religion. One in ten people in the empire were Christian. And so he proclaims Christianity as the state religion. He remains a a sun worshipper, but he proclaims Christianity as the state religion. So... Per, the, the, sorry, the, the, the Christianity goes from being persecuted and downtrodden to being high and lifted up and exalted. Guess what the word Pergamos means? It's not with the high and lifted up. Oh, really? That's what the word means. Because wow. they were on top of a mountain. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. 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 So there's some interesting things. It's all very connected, isn't it? It's very, very, very connected. All right. Now, there's certain sins that the Bible speaks about right here. Mon, uh, in verse 14, yes. what false doctrine do they hold? Um, it says here, there's a couple of complaints. Uh, they tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam. Uh, they showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel, um, sinning by eating food offered to idols and committing sexual sin. Okay, so let's think about Balaam. Tell me about Balaam, Mon. I keep getting mixed up with that donkey guy. That is the donkey guy. Oh, that is the donkey guy? That's the donkey guy. That donkey guy's a bad guy, isn't he? Okay, tell us about the donkey guy. So the donkey guy, <laughs> he was on his way to... Oh, hang on, wasn't he trying to masquerade as a good prophet, but he was actually a bad prophet? Actually, it was a little bit the other way around. Oh, he, he was a good prophet uh-huh. trying to masquerade as a bad a prophet oh. so that he could get paid for it, which made him a bad prophet. Okay, yeah, and he was on his way to do that when God uh, came to him in a vision, but he didn't see it. He didn't see the didn't angel of the, the angel. Lord. That's right. He only um, was riding on his donkey, and his donkey saw it. Uh-huh. And that donkey, of course, freaked out when he saw the angel on the path and stopped. 
and uh, and Balin lost his temper and started beating the donkey, and the donkey spoke at him, and he was in such a temper tantrum that he just answered back to the donkey. <laughs> yeah, to the donkey. That's just the, that's the most hilarious story yeah. in the Bible. The funniest bit is where he just answers the donkey. donkey. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, as if it's normal to have a conflict with a donkey. That's nothing unusual happening here. I'm <laughs> yeah. talking to my donkey. Yeah. <laughs> just, just let me be. We'll finish this conversation and then get on with our journey. As they had a little verbal exchange, um, and then the Lord opened his eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord and realized how close to death he was. So, that's right. And yeah. then and then God says to him, he says, look, you can go to... You can go and curse Israel, but you can only say what I want you to say.
That was Chelsea Moon with Before the Throne here on Faith FM, and nobody has snapped up the clue for the quiz. It is about to get crazy easy. This one's going to give it away. Yeah, I'm sure. okay. So, clue number four I am the mother of Cain and Abel. 1 800 324 843 is the number to call if you know the answer. And there will be a prize coming your no, your way if you know who the mother of Cain and Abel was. Cain and Abel's mummy. Mm, there you go. Mm, very easy. Now, we were talking about Balaam. The Bible accuses the church in Pergamos yes, the of... The donkey whisperer. That's right. That's the one. Or Yeller. We shouldn't call him a whisperer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A donkey screamer. Yeah. Um, donkey w- abuser, really. Yeah. Uh, so we were talking about the sins of Balaam. To understand this prophecy, we clearly need to understand the story of Balaam. So let's let's summarize uh, the story of Balaam very quickly. Balaam was from Mesopotamia. He was a true prophet of God. Sometimes we have this impression that the only place that the knowledge of God was known was amongst the Israelites. That wasn't the case. Of course, Abraham had come from Mesopotamia. Um, and there would have been a lot of people other than Abraham who were worshippers of God there in Mesopotamia, but God chooses Abraham, you know, no doubt because of his faithfulness. But, you know, many centuries later, we find this individual here by the name of Balaam, um, who is a true prophet of God. The Israelites under Moses are invading the promised land. They are, um, you know, coming up through, you know, Edom and Moab and so forth. And the Moabites are panicked. Balak the king is absolutely panicked because there is this very large invasion force that have defeated a number of powerful armies previous to this. And he's like, we do not have the military uh, force to be able to counteract this invasion. And so he looks around for a spiritual solution. He finds Balaam. And in Balaam, he finds a unique individual because Balaam was not Israelite. Okay, so he's not Israelite. So he doesn't have a patriotic connection to Israel. But he is a worshipper of the same God. He is a worshipper of Yahweh. So he has a connection to the God of Israel. 
And so he sees in Balaam somebody who has the potential of being able to turn Israel's God against them and by so doing enable them to um, to defeat Israel. So he invites Balaam, um, promises him you know incredible wealth and power and position if he can come and curse Israel. Balaam really wants the wealth, he really wants the power, he finds that very um, exciting and appealing, mm-hmm. and so he goes and asks God, can I go and curse Israel? As if. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, you are asking God? Seriously? <laughs> curse his people. <laughs> Nevertheless, he does, and God comes back and says, no. Mm-hmm. It's very sad the next morning. He tells the ambassadors from Moab, no, I'm sorry, I can't. God has said no. So they go back, they report to Balak. Balak is freaking out of his mind, and so he sends you know princes as ambassadors this time. You know, he sends the highest of the highest of the high within his court to try and conv- and promises him the world if he will come and curse Israel. And uh, of course, Balaam says, "Let me go and ask God," as if God is going to change his mind. And of course, God is not going to change his mind. Anyway. Um, the princes, they know this is a lost cause. They're smarter than Balaam. Uh, they leave the next morning before Balaam gets up. They're like, we need to get back to our country. We need to defend our country. This is a crisis situation. We need to be, you know, rather than chasing, you know, a lost mm-hmm. cause out here mm-hmm. in Mesopotamia, let's get back and let's defend our families. And so they've already left. So Balaam, in a hurry, he uh, loads up his gear, jumps on his donkey, and he's chasing after them. And that's when the famous story of the donkey happens. And God comes to him and says, look, you can go, but you can only speak the words that I give you to speak. And so when he gets there, four times he he tries to curse Israel, and four times God's Spirit takes hold of him, and he pronounces the most sublime blessings and promises on Israel that you'll read anywhere in Scripture. He even prophesies about Jesus. One of the most famous prophecies of Jesus was given by Balaam. And so Balak is very, very disturbed by this. And Balaam is very, very sad because he doesn't get his wealth and he doesn't get his position and he doesn't get his honor. And he goes sulking back to uh, Mesopotamia, all sad because you know he really wanted all that stuff. Uh, he has a talking donkey, though. You should think that, like, that could get you some money, right? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, it wasn't the kind of talking donkey that you could t- take to the uh, the local fake and show it off. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when he gets back there, he's thinking about it. It's like, okay, I can't curse Israel with my words, but Israel hab- has a habit of cursing themselves. Mm. So he goes back to Balak one more time. He says, we can get Israel to curse themselves. And so they go they, they 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 set up a honey trap, essentially. And they send in the most beautiful women, the most beautiful Moabite women, into the camp of Israel to lead the Israelites astray. To lead them in a path of compromise. And they say, hey, we're having this big festival. And the Israelites say, we can't come to that. That's pagan. They're like, no, no, that's fine. You don't have to participate. Just come and watch what we do. So a bunch of the Israelites go and watch. And the next minute, they're participating. Mm. You know, and this is just really, really horrific, terrible stuff that they are participating in. And as a result of that, yes, Israel does curse itself. doesn't solve Balak's problems. Both Balak and Balaam are killed in the war that, Follows, and there was a cleansing in the camp of Israel as well of 
you know, obviously all those who participated in that idolatry. So in a nutshell, that's the story of Balaam. Now what we need to do is to learn from that story because that story is a type or a symbol of what is taking place in the church of Pergamos during this particular time period from uh, 313 AD through to 538. We're going to talk about that date um, a little bit probably later tomorrow. I just want to mention, I think it's a good, uh, something we need to point out is the way that Balaam conducted his life, essentially. You know, he tried to gain the whole world. He tried to gain his riches um, and he lost his soul, essentially. And, you know, he went down that path of chasing the wealth, the power, the fame. And, and, and for what? Like he died in battle. He wouldn't have even had time to enjoy those piddly little gains that he got. And he lost he lost eternity. He lost eternity. Yeah, it, it's, a, uh, it's an incredibly... Um, sad story, the story of Balaam. But what it is, is it is a story of compromise. It's nothing worth more than your soul. Yeah. Yeah. And he lost his soul by compromise. It's it's what it's all about. And he destroyed so many Israelites by compromise. Mm. It wasn't direct rebellion. It was compromise. It was just like, yeah, come and watch. Or, yeah, you know, just, just come and hang out for a while. This was what it was. And this is how uh, Israel brought themselves under the curse of God. This is how Balaam brought himself under the curse of God. And if you look at the history of Christianity from 313 to 538, it is a time period that is legendary in history for compromise. This is where the church formed a policy of we will take anything that is pagan and we will Christianize it. And so they took all of the pagan gods and renamed them you know, St. Matthew, St. Mark, St. Luke, St. John, St. Joseph, you know, St. this, St. that, St. the other. Um, and so you still keep praying to exactly the same gods, but now they're called saints. Um, I think it was Jupiter who was taken from, you know, the Temple of Jupiter there in Rome and placed in St. Peter's Basilica and renamed as St. Peter. You know, so these were all pagan gods that were just simply renamed. And, uh, and and so what you find is that, yeah, a period of tremendous compromise. We're going to talk about it in much greater detail tomorrow, um, the history of what took place right here. But right now, we're going to move on. This is Keith and Kristen Getty.
You're listening to Grego Pile with Calvary here on Faith FM. And Mon, have we got? Yes, the last clue for our last Who Am clue. I quiz. This is super duper easy. Get your fingers ready to dial 1 800 Faith FM. You're about to win this. Last clue. My husband's name is Adam. <laughs> yes. How okay. many Adams are there in the Bible, yeah, Lyle? Just one. Just just oh just one is I just wonder one. who his wife was. <laughs> Couldn't even begin to imagine. Couldn't even. Okay, what's our question for question okay, today? Okay, our quad is Do aliens exist? Of course. Uh oh. We're surrounded by aliens. What are you talking about? Re- really? Yeah. E. T. phone home? No, you're an alien. I am? Yeah, because you're German. Marta's an alien. She's Polish. It's <laughs> a true story. Uh, uh, you got your half alien. Maddie, Maddie is alien because he's from Romania. Yeah. Um, according to the definition, an alien means a belonging to a foreign country. I... Ah, that's one definition. But there is another definition which I think our asker may have been looking for, and that means extra... Terrestrial. Mm-hmm. So, are there extraterrestrial beings that exist? Well, of course there are. The, the, the universe is full of extraterrestrial beings. The Bible is very, very clear on that. Um, and so, let's look at a couple of verses in relationship to that. We'll start here in Revelation 12 because my Bible just happens to be open there. The Bible says there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Where was this war? In heaven. Not on this earth. In heaven means extraterrestrial. Were there people who were fighting this war? Yes, the Bible speaks about God's angels and Satan's angels. And so we have aliens who are in heaven because they are extraterrestrial. So angels, by definition, are aliens. I never thought of that. Angels are aliens. Because they don't live on this earth. I think because they're nice aliens. I mean, they spend a lot of time on this earth, but this earth is not their home. They are not from this earth. They are from heaven. Uh, so the Bible is really clear on this. It goes on. Um, you know, they, they, he prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown out. The old serpent called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And so here's the important thing. Here on this earth, we live in an environment where we are surrounded by aliens. And yes, they do have important roles to play in our lives on a daily basis, either for good or for evil. If we go back to, uh, let's go to Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, we'll look at this time. Uh, and verse 12, where it says, when I find it, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In other words, we are wrestling with aliens on a daily basis, aliens who are seeking to destroy us, that otherwise known as evil angels or demons. If you go over to, you know, why don't they just, you know, destroy us just like that? Well, the answer is found if you go over to Hebrews chapter 1, and there are so many verses on this in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 13, the Bible says, but to which of the angels uh, did he say at any time, sit on my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool? Are they, that's the angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who shall be heirs of salvation. Now, the Bible indicates that good angels outnumber evil angels at a ratio of two to one, but that's not really the relevant point. The relevant point is that good angels come to us through the authority and power of God. 
And so whenever you know God's power comes into it, we don't need to worry. We don't need to be stressed because there are good angels on our side. And that's why our world isn't just completely wiped out and obliterated in a moment, in a second. It is because of the presence of good angels who are keeping things under control. Or should we say, good aliens versus bad aliens. Yes, there are extraterrestrial beings and our universe is full of them. Now, I should just say one other thing very, very quickly. The Bible speaks here in, uh, oh, I've got time for this one, in verse 2. He has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, by whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom he made the worlds. And so God was the one who made the worlds, and the Bible gives very clear indication that they are inhabited by other extraterrestrial beings that we don't know about. Uh, the Bible has quite a bit to say about that also. So we're not going to be abducted any time soon by aliens? No. They will try to do some weird stuff on this earth to try and deceive people. But if you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are safe. Amen. Thank you so much for answering that, Lyle. If you have a question, give us a call. Our number, of course, is 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. Take me past the outer court Into the holy place Past the brazen altar Lord, I want to see your face Pass me by the crowds of people And the priests who sing your praise I hunger and thirst for your righteousness And it's only found one place Take me into the holy of holies Take me in by the blood of the Lamb Take me into the holy of holies Take the cold
That was Matt Menicus with Clint McCoy. Take me into the Holy of Holies here on Faith Head. Hey, Mod, why are you wearing the same thing you wore yesterday? Oh, ha, ha, la. You know very well that I packed all my clothes up and put them in storage and then didn't think about that until the next morning. I'm going to ask you this question every day for the next two weeks. You just better pray that I don't sweat up a storm in this heat and then come to come to work stinking because my clothes ain't going to change until at least next Monday. Uh, <laughs> yes. What have you got to give away for us there, Mod? Today we have a giveaway... A really great one. It's a book by Stephen Boy. It's called Worship at Satan's Throne. We were talking about Satan's Throne today or Satan's Seat. Yes, There in Pergamos. We have a whole letter about Worship at Satan's Throne Yes, by Stephen Boy. Yeah, Pastor Stephen Boy, and he uncovers the dangers lurking within the Sabbath-keeping church that seek to divide and conquer God's people, uh, crippling their ability to faithfully share the last day message with the world and driving them onward toward compromise and apostasy. So, Mm. yeah, very interesting stuff here. Uh, Give us a call if you would like to get a copy of this book. We only have one copy. Um, It is Worship at Satan's Throne by Stephen Boy. The number to call if you would like to get this copy is 1-800-FAITH-FM. It's 1-800-324-843. You can text through your details 0491 Whatever hits us first gets the prize. And don't forget if you'd like to know more about the Bible, as always, we encourage you to study the Bible every day. Studying the Bible should be something that happens every single day of your life. It should be your time that you spend with God reconnecting yourself with Jesus Christ. And so we would like to help facilitate that for you in any way that we possibly can. If you are struggling to understand the Bible, then give us a call. 1-800-324-843 is the number. And we will set you in, we will put you in touch with somebody who will be able to help you out. We can do that Australia-wide. This is Australia-wide radio and we minister Australia-wide. Looking forward to having you back on the show tomorrow after the 7 o'clock news. Thou art.
great thou art Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee How great thou art, how great thou art And when I think that God his Son not sparing Sent him to die, I scarce can take it in That on a cross, my burdens gladly bearing He bled and died, to take away my sin Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee How great thou art.